Sounds like you've heard those before. <laughs> the only problem with showing that video is that song will echo in my head all week. <laughs> and she missed one. Uh, my favorite answer to the reason why can't I is this. And I'll, I'll be glad to share it with anybody who wants to use it. My answer is, well, because I'm mean, cruel, and inhuman. <laughs> it's worked. And then I get a dirty look. <laughs> so this morning we've heard about what parents say what's said in our homes, I also wanted us to take a little bit of time to think about what the Bible says about our homes. And as we do that, I want to look at a passage of scripture that's a favorite on Mother's Day, but probably not quite in the way that we're going to look at it this morning. Let me give you a little bit of background. A few years ago, I had the privilege of hearing Rachel Held Evans. Does anybody have, clap if you've ever heard or read something by Rachel? Okay, there are a few people. Um, Rachel is a 34-year-old mom now, but when I heard her, she didn't have any children. She um, is a writer, a blogger, a columnist. She grew up in Dayton, Tennessee, which is best known for what? Scopes Monkey Trial. I heard it over here, right? The Scopes Monkey Trial. So you kind of know the atmosphere in which she grew up. And particularly, she grew up in a very conservative, maybe even fundamental um, religious background. One that taught a particular role for women. And um, we typically describe that as biblical womanhood. It, it's, it's a particular way of looking at it. And it's based on passages like this from the book of Titus, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, actually. And, and it has these instructions in it. Um, Tell older women to be reverent in their behavior, teaching what is good rather than being gossips or addicted to heavy drinking. That way they can mentor young women to love their husbands and children and to be sensible, morally pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands so that God's word won't be ridiculed. You see, biblical womanhood teaches a kind of, if we're being generous, complementary, I would describe it as a more patriarchal view of, of gender roles in a family or in a home. And Rachel struggled with this. Um, scholars now um, teach us that this particular passage was probably written um, to a particular time and place to, where Titus was having trouble in a, the church he was serving. And, and so Paul was giving some, some instruction. But there's been a, a reclaiming, and particularly as Rachel Held Evans grew up, she was taught that as, as a literal passage, that, that a, a woman's job was basically in the home, and then they needed to be submissive, they needed to be a, a wonderful mother, they needed um, to provide for the affairs of their household, and, and that if we would just take the passage literally, it would be the cure of all the ills in the society. Right. So she, as she struggled with this as a young adult, she, as a writer, she decided that what she would do would be to, for one year, try to live out every one of the passages in the Bible that speaks about women. And then she would write about it in a book, and she did publish it in a book that's titled A Year of Biblical Womanhood. So she did things like covering her hair when she prayed, and being submissive to her husband to the point that, for a time, she called him master, she gave to the poor. She nurtured a, a quiet and gentle spirit. And, and she realized that she couldn't do all of these things all the time. So every month, she would choose a particular theme. One month, that theme in, in October, actually, she, she decided she'd work on that quiet and gentle spirit. The only problem was Rachel's an ardent Alabama football fan. And it was October. 
And so she had to develop a way to pay penance for that. And so she had a jar that she put money into it. Anytime she used a, a expletives during a football game or a snarky comment and, um, or maybe that she just had a bad attitude, she paid penance by putting a, a, some money into that jar. We might have to do that in March during basketball season, right? In um, May or in November, she decided that she would focus on the theme of all the scriptures in the Bible that talked about domesticity. And she wasn't much of a cook, and she knew she needed to learn to be a cook. So she decided that for the month of November, she would cook through Martha Stewart's cookbook from beginning to end. Yeah, right. <laughs> to the point of she made a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner for her family. In May, she decided she would do um, the theme of fertility because that's spoken a lot in the Bible that, that women should bear children. And she wasn't a mother yet. So in order to experience this, she male ordered a baby think it over. Have you ever seen one of those babies? They, they've, I remember them having them in, in high school and in middle high. We, we had to carry around that baby doll. And um, just to help us think about the responsibility it took to care for a child. Well, now they have computer chips in it. So she endearingly named her baby Chip. And he cried and he fussed and, and, and he got mad and, and he had to be fed. And, and she kept him for a whole weekend. <laughs> before she packed him up in the box and sent him back. <laughs> And then it was in January that she decided to, to tackle a passage in the Bible that she'd heard about a lot. It's, it's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. Now, we find the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's, it's a, a book of, of kind of what we, I would call today advice. Advice about how we might be wise, about how we might have the God-given gift of, of wisdom. So there's lots in, in the book of Proverbs about that. And, and in the very last chapter... There's this ode to a capable wife. And I want to read it to you now. A competent wife. How can one find her? Her value is far above pearls. Her husband entrusts his heart to her. And with her he will have all he needs. She brings him good and not trouble all the days of her life. She seeks out wool and flax. She works joyfully with her hands. She's like a fleet of merchant ships, bringing food from a distance. She gets up while it's still night, providing food for her household, even some for her female servants. She surveys a field and acquires it. By her own resources, she plants a vineyard. She works energetically. Her arms are powerful. She realizes that her trading is successful. She doesn't put out her lamp at night. She puts her hand to the spindle. Her palms grasp the world. She reaches out to the needy, stretches out her hands to the poor. She doesn't fear for her household when it snows because they're all dressed in warm clothes. She makes bedspreads for herself and fine linen and purple are her clothing. Her husband is known at the city gates when he sits with the elders of the land. She makes garments and sells them. She supplies sashes to traders. Strength and honor are her clothing. She's confident about the future. Her mouth is full of wisdom. Kindly teaching is, her is on her tongue. She's vigilant over the activities of her household. She doesn't eat the food of laziness. Her children bless her and her husband praises her. Many women act competently, but you surpass them all. 
Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let her share in the results of her work. Let her deeds praise her in the city gates. It's a beautiful poem. It's packed with imagery. It's, it's meant to be a, a kind of a concrete example of all that the book of Proverbs is about. All about all of what it means to be a person of wisdom. In Hebrew, the poem is an acrostic. Meaning that each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now that one makes it easy to memorize. But also it, it helps to give a picture of totality. Of completeness. As, as this upper Jewish, upper class Jewish wife. As her achievements are celebrated. Um, as she takes care of the affairs of her household. By, by buying and selling and planting. And caring for servants. And, and sewing. And, and taking a care of, of the affairs of her household. Providing for each season. She's so proficient that that biblical translators, as you read different versions of the Bible, we we have a difficult time figuring out exactly what to call her. And what I just read, it was capable. Another translation uses the word competent or virtuous or or worthy or or, um, an excellent wife. But the Hebrew word or words, eshet chayil, scholars tell us they're best translated as valorous. Because one of the things about this poem is that it has lots of military images. If we could read this poem in the Hebrew, when it says that she provides food for her family, what it actually says in the Hebrew is she provides prey for her family. When it talks about her providing food or, or watching over the affairs of her household, it's actually translated she spies over the affairs of her household. When when the poem talks about her girding herself with strength, she's actually girding her loins. And when it talks about her laughing at the days to come, it really is translated, she laughs in victory. Do you hear those kind of military images that that make valorous a a wonderful way to describe her? Uh, Erica Moore talks about um, how the valorous woman in this poem is used by God to do good for God's people in, in much the same way that the prophets and the kings that we read about in the Old Testament were able to be victorious and do good for God's people back then as well. And what's interesting to me is that the only instructive language in the entire poem is instruction to the woman's husband who's supposed to praise her deeds and and to acknowledge her at the city gates. And yet what I think has happened, and probably the way it's being preached across the country today in many places, is that rather being a a poem of praise for women, it's become a a set of directives, a a, a set of um, instructions where the home-based endeavors of of the Proverbs 31 women are are what we're supposed to do so that we can be true and faithful in who God created us to be. It's interesting to me that there's a whole industry of books and lectures and topics um, that have have grown up so so that women can know how they can live into the Proverbs 31 lifestyle. One of the most popular books is this, Becoming the Woman that God wants me to be. 
a 90-day guide to the Proverbs 31 woman. It hasn't made it to my library. <laughs> and until I was thinking about this message and researching it, I never made the connection between the 31 bags that are, are sold by women, you know, in, in those parties to, to this um, scripture. It's a way for women to have a flexible and a way to make money for their household um, by selling those. And that there is a, a faith component to that industry. But I think what we've done as human beings, as we're so often good at doing, is we've turned this scripture upside down or inside out, as it were, so that it's no longer presented as a way through which women are offered praise, but rather it's become a, a set of directives by which women are supposed to earn that praise. As Rachel Held Evans puts it so well, we've turned a poem into a job description. And so let's think about that for a minute. If, if we read these verses as, as what it means to be a faithful, committed, excellent woman, here's what we need to do. And I've got some slides to help us think about these things. First, we need to learn to sew. She seeks out wool and flax. She, her palms grasp the world. She works joyfully with her hands. Next, we need to make sure that we shopped at Trader Joe's. Or our local oriental food market. Because she's like a fleet of merchant ships. Bringing in food from a distance. We need to get up before dawn. And we need to keep working past 9pm. Because we don't put our lamps out at night. She makes every meal. And keeps the house clean. She provides food for her household. She's vigilant over the activities of her family. We'd invest in real estate or community-supported agriculture as we surveyed fields and acquired them as we planted a vineyard. We'd get a gym membership so we could work out those arms. You see, she works energetically and her arms are powerful. We'd volunteer at the soup kitchen, the emergency shelter, the habitat restore, the pig-out food truck because we reach out to the needy and stretch out our hands to the poor. We'd need a scarf, hat, and sweater for each member of our family because we wouldn't fear for our household they'd be warm in the winter. We'd make a purple dress to wear because fine linen and purple would be our clothing. There's our purple dress. We'd praise our spouse at the city gates. <laughs> We'd avoid TV, Facebook, Twitter and naps because we don't eat the food of laziness. We'd practice contemplative prayer because a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. Now I thought at this moment what I might do was have them turn up the house lights and let anyone stand who has filled each, who could um, complete each one of those components. But I didn't think that fit in with happy and uplifting you see, friends, what I think we need to remember is that this is a poem, and that's how we need to read it. As friend and colleague Talbot Davis says about the Bible in general, we need to learn to read it liter literarily, which means paying attention to the, the type of literature that we have and interpreting and, and, and adapting and understanding according to that. You see, our Jewish brothers and sisters read this as Hebrew poetry. And they read it as talking more about who God is than being a set of commands 
about who we should be. The Jewish woman is called Eshet Chayil for anything valorous that she does. So if you learn a new skill, Eshet Chayil, you're a woman of valor. If you give generously to a friend because they're in need, you're Eshet Chayil, you're a woman of valor. If you run for the first time in the Basque color dash, you're Eshet Chayil, you're a woman of valor. Each week, as, as the Jewish people gather together for a Sabbath meal in their home, this poem is sung to a woman. And, and can, you not, can you not imagine what a blessing that would be to hear this song of praise being sung to you, not because of anything you did or not, didn't do, but because you're a blessing, because of who you are. And it's not because they've checked off each of the components that we read in this proverb. But rather, it's because she's a woman of valor. She's a woman of valor in, in her own unique way. You see, Eshet Ha'il is at its core a blessing. It's meant to be given unconditionally, not earned. It's, well, I think we could describe it best as the Jewish version of, you go, girl, you go. And women in the Jewish culture use this also to, to bless each other. Can you imagine on, on your best friend or your daughter's or, or another woman's birthday, calling her up and wishing her a happy birthday because she's a she'chayil, a woman of valor. Or maybe as your daughter or granddaughter or niece or neighbor crosses the stage at graduation, while everybody's whooping and hollering about their accomplishments, you shout out a she'chayil, you're a woman of valor. Maybe when a friend gets a promotion or your daughter gets a hit at the softball game or, or your BFF passes the bar exam. You shout out, Eshet Chayil, you're a woman of valor. Can you imagine how positive, how, how affirming that blessing could be? And what Rachel Held Evans suggests in her book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, is that it's time. It's time for Christians to take back this proverb. You see, somewhere along the way, we've abandoned it to the people who brought us Barbies, airbrushing, and Spanx. Those who want to teach us in this culture that the outside is more important than what's in our hearts. And nothing could be farther from the truth. We've abandoned the meaning of this poem by, by focusing on the specifics whereby it just became a set of unreasonable expectations by which we could measure our failures. And friends, you know, I wonder if, if we would bless each other, if we couldn't make a little dent in the number of deaths by suicide. Oh, sure, it doesn't answer the question of chronic mental illness, but it certainly might help answer those spontaneous acts where a person's bullied or, or where they don't feel affirmed if we were a people who affirmed them. And, and so um, what I think we've done, sadly, is turned an anthem into an assignment. We've turned imagery into impossibilities. And you see, the woman that's described in this proverb isn't somebody out there. But she's a part of each one of us. Each one of us when we do something with valor. And friends, in the Bible, there are places where this very same blessing is offered to men. And so in the Bible, just like here at West, all means all. 
And so what I want you to hear today is each and every one of you is a person of valor. When you're willing to tackle difficult subjects like suicide or heaven and hell, you're people of valor. When you sponsor a child for Acres of Hope, you're men and women of valor. When you go to crafted conversations and take the church closer to the community so they too might learn of the joy and peace of Jesus Christ, you're people of valor. When you provide for food for Third Creek, when you um, add to the numbers every year of, of those who are served at Bash, when you sponsor and serve on the food truck, when you set up and take down each and every Sunday, you're people of valor. Eshet Chayil, or the male version, Arel Chayil, people of valor. I think Judy Garland said it best when she said, be a first-rate version of yourself rather than a second-rate version of somebody else. And you see, the Proverbs 31 woman isn't valorous because of what she does, but it's because of how she does it. She does it with valor. So whatever you do, do it with valor. If it's refinishing furniture, do it with valor. If it's running around after your two-year-old grandchild, do it with valor. If it's leading a small group or serving on a a mission building team or, or heading up a company, do it with valor. In the words of Rachel Held Evans, take risks. Work hard, make mistakes and fall down, and get up and do it all over again. And always, always, she says, surround yourself with people who will cheer you on. Friends, I think that's our job, to know that we're cheered on by God, and then to go and to cheer others on by affirming them as people of valor. So in all that we do as followers of Jesus Christ, may we do it with valor, whether it's in our homes or in the world. May we know that we are blessed unconditionally and may we bless others. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, there are so many ways in this world that this world wants to point out to us the ways that we don't measure up, the ways that we don't fit in, the ways that we're not enough. But God, this morning, help each and every one of us to hear that we are your beloved children and that we are people of valor, people that are gifted to do important things for you so that this world might be a better place. So God, as we hear that affirmation ourselves, may we then go and share it with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Don't give a dang about your Benjamin Franklin's. She wants Aretha. She don't really care how you spend and your money. It's all how you treat her. She just want a friend to be there when she opens her eyes in the morning. 
She wants you to say what you mean and mean everything that you're saying. Cause that's how you talk to a woman. That's how you speak to a girl. That's how you get with the lady who's worth more than anything in your whole world. You better respect your mama. Respect the heck out of her. Cause that's how you talk to a woman. That's how you speak to a girl. She don't give a dang about your pride or the lies that you're hiding behind. She just wanna feel that you're real and she's near to the man that's inside. She don't need to hear she's a queen on a throne that she's more than amazing. She just wants you to say what you mean. To mean everything that you're saying Cause that's how you talk to a woman That's how you speak to a girl That's how you get with a lady Who's worth more than anything in your whole world You better respect your mama Respect Good.